Deuteronomy chapter 2 and we'll read some verses from that in a moment. I was thinking of the week ahead and I realised that Ash Wednesday is next Wednesday. It's surprising, you know, how many modern denominations that claim to be Christian observe various holy days in celebration of religious events. And quite often they don't really realise what these holy days represent. Holidays like Christmas, Easter, Lent and many others which are celebrated by various services in many churches. You read in the Bible obviously about many of these events but nowhere do we find in the Gospels and in the New Testament telling us to remember these as particular holy days. They have been developed by men over the centuries uh, since the New Testament was written. I suppose most people, or many people, observe these holidays just from force of habit. And all the glamour and glitz of Christmas makes people celebrate it. And then we have Easter and Lent. The churches celebrate these days and the members participate in them without questioning where they come from. They truly think they're all part of biblical doctrine and Christianity. It may never occur to most people to question where these holidays came from or whether they are right. And the important thing is to look at scriptures and see whether what we do and whether the holidays we keep are pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. We have to test everything in line with God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5 Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every appearance, every form of evil. Every form of evil. If you search through the scriptures, you will find nothing celebrating 40 days of fasting by the early church or by any Christians as a result of Christ's fasting in the wilderness but that is in some way the basis of what people seem to believe the Roman Catholic Catechism says for we have not an high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sinning Hebrews 4.15 By the solemn forty days of Lent, the Church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. There's another quotation uh, from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Lent is the period of six and one half weeks from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. During Lent for forty days, excluding Sundays, Fasting is recommended for all Catholics according to the laws of fast. 
This is reminiscent of the 40 days of our Lord's unbroken fast. The entire period of Lent is also a time of spiritual preparation for the passion, death and resurrection of Christ. It is observed as a time of penitence other than fasting and as a time of prayer. The liturgy of the Church reflects the significance of this period of spiritual preparation. Each day has a special Mass assigned to it. Those Masses date back to the 7th and 8th centuries. There are no feasts observed on Sundays. Purple vestments are the daily colour. Ash Wednesday was established as the first day of Lent by Pope Gregory the Great. And he lived from 590 to 604. Or he was a pope during that time. That comes from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Ash Wednesday apparently was the day when Catholic Church sprinkles ashes on the foreheads of members as a sign of penitence. Especially for those who seek to be restored to communion at Easter. The ashes come from the uh, palm leaves they had at Easter the previous year they burn the, the palm leaves and keep the ashes and then they put the ash on the forehead of the people who go to Mass on Ash Wednesday the Catechism for Adults the Catholic Catechism for Adults says the Church's law of abstinence says that on certain days you may not eat meat what are the days of obligatory abstinence? Ash Wednesday and all the Fridays of Lent. On these days no meat may be taken at a full meal. And so we see that Lent is basically something which the Catholic Church developed. It was brought in from a pagan holiday and they Christianized it in order to make it easier for these pagans to accept the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. The word Lent is of Anglo-Saxon origin meaning spring. Lent developed from the pagan celebration of weeping, fasting and mourning for 40 days over the death of Tammuz. Tammuz, the son or husband of the Babylonian idol Ashtar, was killed by a wild boar and then allegedly resurrected. This mourning is especially emphasized by Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 8 verses 13 to 15 Ezekiel had a vision and God gave him a vision of abominations that were taking place around the temple and in verse 13 we have he said unto, he said unto me turn thee yet again and thou shalt see a greater abominations than they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house that was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And it has crept in to Christian churches for no reason other than it is error I remember David Maddock who was the vicar down in Foy he said that Ash Wednesday was one of the most important Christian holidays unbelievable a completely pagan 
uh, ritual carried out by putting ash on the foreheads of these people who were supposed to be penitent. So there we are. Uh, that's this week. Uh, we used to be very conscious of it when we lived in the south of Ireland. The general talk would be when we were kids, what are you giving up for Lent? Uh, we obviously gave up nothing, but most of our friends would be giving up something for Lent as a form of penance. Let's turn then to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and the first few verses of chapter 3. We'll read those in a minute. But following on from last week, I was reading a hymn for children which is so opposite to what we were thinking about last week. And I thought I would just read out a few verses. Remember what we said, that we were not to stray off the king's highway, not so much as a footprint. And this was a lovely little hymn. Wherever you may be, whatever you may see, that would lead you into evil, say you nay. I will not turn aside whatever may be tied. I'll keep along the middle of the king's highway. The meadows may be green where bypath style is seen. Turn aside, the little flowers seem to say. Be sure to take no heed. They're trying to mislead. Just keep along the middle of the king's highway. For on enchanted ground there's danger all around and a thousand pleasant voices bid you stay. With fingers stop your ears and never mind the jeers. Just keep along the middle of the king's highway. The king's highway, the king's highway, I'll keep along the middle of the king's highway. I will not turn aside, whatever may be tied. I'll keep along the middle of the king's highway. I thought it was very good. So let's go on with uh, reading a few verses. Rather long uh, passage to read. So we'll read from Deuteronomy chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 24. And we'll go on into Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. <coughs> Although I was... Uh, when I started doing this, I was sidetracked a little bit, as you'll probably see as we go along. <coughs> and God said, Rise up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given thee into thine hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it, and contend with him in battle. This day I, will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee and it's interesting actually if you go over to uh, Joshua chapter 2 when in fact they, they did cross over into the uh, promised land over Jordan and they were coming up to Jericho and Joshua sent out spies and they were hidden you remember in the flax up on the roof and the woman 
Rahab said unto the men I know that the Lord your God hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land be faint because of you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan Sion and Dog whom ye utterly destroyed and as soon as we heard these things our hearts did melt neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath so that was an exact thing that happened as a fulfillment of what God was saying to Moses here in Deuteronomy carrying on and I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Kedemoth unto Sion the king of Heshbon with words of peace saying let me pass through thy land and I will go along by the highway I will neither turn unto the right hand nor to the left here we're going on the king's highway again Thou shalt sell me meat for money and that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink only I will pass through on my feet and he just refers to what had happened uh, previously but Zion king of Heshbon would not let us pass by him for the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand as appeareth this day and the Lord said unto me behold I have begun to give Zion and his land before thee begin to possess that thou mayest inherit his land then Zion came out against us he and all his people to fight at Jehaz and the Lord our God delivered him before us and we smote him and his sons and all his people and we took all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city we left none to remain only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took from Aroer which is by the brink of the river Arnon and from the city that is by the river even unto Gilead there was not one city too strong for us the Lord our God delivered all unto us only unto the land of the children of Ammon thou camest not nor unto any place of the river Jabbok nor unto the cities in the mountains nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us then <coughs> then we turned and went up the way of Bashan and all the king of Bashan came out against us he and his people to battle at Edria and the Lord said unto me fear him not for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sihon the king of the Amorites which dwelt at Heshbon and this man that came out was a huge man remember his bed was about 15 feet long so the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also the king of Bashan and all his people and we smote him until none was left to him remaining and we took all his cities at that time there was not a city which we took not from him three score cities 
all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates and bars, beside unwalled towns a great many. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did, unto Zion, the king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women and children of every city. But all the cattle and the spoil of the cities we took for a prey to ourselves. And we took at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites the land that was on this side Jordan, from the river Arnon unto Mount Hermon. Verse 11. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not of Rabbath, of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth thereof, after the cubit of a man. Here we read this, these two remarkable victories that God had given to these Israelites. We discussed earlier on in Deuteronomy the point that Israel had to get rid of the fear of giants. They dreaded these giants. They did not believe God. They had failed to believe wholeheartedly in the God who had redeemed them and preserved them and brought them out of Egypt from Herod, from Pharaoh. These giants were to them a very real problem. But they failed to trust God who had promised them victory and the prize of the promised land. They had welched and gone back and disobeyed God. Now as we go through this life, each of us will meet giants. But we must keep our eyes on God. We have to face giants as we go through life. You remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian. He had to come up against giants, but he overcame them. I suppose the greatest enemy that we all have to face in this life is probably death. It's called the last enemy. And for a lot of people it's a giant. We'll all have faces unless, of course, the rapture comes and, and we are all taken up to meet the Lord in the air. But you know, they say, and it's a very old statement, there are only two things certain in this world, income tax and death. No one can defeat this giant in their own strength. Praise the Lord, we do not have to defeat this giant. Why? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 56 to 58. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the law is sin. But thanks be unto God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, this giant 
giant that each man has to face. Death has been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has accomplished the victory before us. Just as God had already given the Israelites the assurance of victory. As they stood ready to enter the promised land. All waiting to enter the promised land. Through faith that victory was already theirs. But they pulled back. They sinned. And so with us. Am I trusting God completely for victory over the giants I may face in life? Christ has accomplished a wonderful victory at the cross of Calvary. That's the wonderful news that we can proclaim to man. Sin has been judged and condemned at the cross. The wages of sin is death. Christ has had the victory over sin and death and the grave. You know, when we accept Christ as our Savior, two things happen. My sins are forgiven. I receive the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. If you look at Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. It's the story of one of the resurrection appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the story there of the two disciples who went on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joined them. And he explained all the scriptures relating to him right from the book of Moses right through. What a wonderful Bible class that must have been. They came back to the disciples and they told them the wonderful news that Jesus had met with them. And then others had obviously seen Jesus as well. Simon, he'd appeared unto Simon. And then Jesus appeared to them and he said peace to them. And he opened their understanding It says in verse 46 that they might understand the scriptures. He says, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name when we become Christians we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on the cross for each one of us we confess our sins we repent and we receive forgiveness of sins like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress the burden rolls off us the burden of sins have rolled away My sins were a burden too heavy to bear, but Jesus took pity on me. He bore them away in his infinite love and buried them all in the sea. Now they are gone, gone evermore, into the deep and far from the shore, no more remembered 
hidden each one. Oh, how I praise him, my sins are all gone. Oh, the lovely hymn, Lucas Isaac Watts' hymn, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. So when we become Christians, our sins are forgiven. We receive the forgiveness of sins. Wonderful, wonderful. The second thing that happens, my sinful nature is condemned to death. Sin has been condemned at the cross. Sin has been judged by God and condemned at the cross. Sin and death will finally receive the result of that judgment at Calvary. And the sentence will be finally and completely executed. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. All enemies of Christ will be destroyed. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Sting of death is sin but thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ we cannot face death on our own but we can face it in the assurance that death is swallowed up in victory we have sin in our lives as long as we are alive in this sinful world Sadly, we still have the old sinful nature. Romans 8 and verse 23. Go back to 22. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We are still in a sinful body. We live in a sinful world. But the scripture tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, then that sinful nature should not manifest itself in our lives look at 1st John chapter 1 and it's pointing out here a very simple principle If we say we cannot sin, it's a lie, a deceit. 
But to say we need not sin is a truth. For the Christian now has the choice to sin. 1 John 1 verse 5 This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There will be Christians who will tell you that they do not sin, that they are perfect The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we should live as to the truth that our sinful nature has been nailed with Christ to the cross. But if we sin, what did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Then my old nature is crucified with him. Paul says Christ now lives in me. My old nature is dead. I have to reckon that it's dead. I should reckon myself to be dead to this world. I am a totally new creation. But I live in a sinful unredeemed as yet body but the Bible tells me spiritually old things have passed away all things have become new it's a good passage in Romans 6 and verse 17 to 22 and this is in the New King James Version Romans 6 17 But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Notice the the tenses here. That ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin. Not merely forgiveness of sins. But it says made free from sin. He became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For ye, as ye have received your members, servants to unright, as ye have yielded your members as servants to unrighteousness, uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants or slaves to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
but now being made free from sin and become servants to God ye have your fruits in holiness and the end everlasting life what does it say ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness I'm reading quite a few passages of scripture but I think passages of scripture speak more clearly than anything I have to say look at Romans 8 this is a a very interesting passage Romans 8 and we read from verse 9 and this is the amplified version but you are not living the life of the flesh you are living the life of the spirit if the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you directs and controls you but if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ he is none of his he does not belong to Christ for he is not truly a child of God but if Christ lives in you then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt the spirit is alive because of the righteousness that he imputes to you and if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also restore to life your mortal, perishable bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are not obligated to our carnal nature. To live a life ruled by the standard set by the dictates of the flesh. We're not to live a life dictated to us by the standards of the flesh for if according to the dictates of the flesh you will surely die but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually putting to death making extinct deadening the evil deeds deeds prompted by the body you shall really and genuinely live forever what does it say if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually putting to death that is deadening the deeds prompted by the body you shall really and genuinely live forever for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God now that's a little bit difficult but I was looking at J.B. Phillips translation and I mentioned this before uh, a long time ago but J.B. Phillips has a good slant on this. We start from verse 9. But you are not carnal, but spiritual, if the Spirit of God finds a home within you. You cannot indeed be a Christian unless, at all, unless you have something of his Spirit in you. Now, if Christ does live within you, His presence means that your sinful nature is dead. But your spirit becomes alive because of the righteousness he brings with him. I said that our nature is dead in the presence of Christ. And so it is because of its sin. 
Nevertheless, once the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives within you, he will, by that same spirit, bring to your whole being new strength and vitality. So then, my brothers, you can see that we have no particular reason to feel grateful to our instinctive nature or to live life on the level of the instincts. Indeed, that way of living leads to certain spiritual death. But if, on the other hand, you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions by obeying the Spirit, you are on your way to real living. See what it said? If, on the other hand, you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions, cutting the nerve. If I'm playing a game of rugby and an opposition player gives me a kick on the shins, my natural reaction of my brain is to look at the size of the fellow to start with. And then it says, he kicked me. Give him a bloody nose. That's living on the instinct, the natural instincts. But he says here, Phillips, but if you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions, the Amplified said, deadening, deadening the reactions. If the nerve leading to my shin from my brain is cut, the situation is completely different. I do not react because my nerve has been deadened. So I don't give him a punch in the face. Because I am now living with my instinct, my natural instinct has been deadened. And that's the way we should be living our Christian life. As if our natural instinct, we should reckon ourselves to be dead to this world. Not to live our lives by reacting to our natural bodies, our natural instincts. But living our lives in reaction to the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And that's it is with my Christian walk. We are guaranteed victory if we have faith and trust in our God and Saviour. And Moses receives assurance from God in this passage we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2. There are two things in this passage which are interesting at the very start there are two things he says begin to possess the land begin to possess the land I have given unto into thine hand the king of the Amorites and his land begin to possess it And we don't see any dissenters this time. They seem to have learned their lesson from the previous time. And he says, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee unto the nations round about. Two beginnings starting off 
as they were about to enter into the promised land. Moses tried to placate this particular giant but to no avail and God had promised him complete and total victory and the result was complete and total victory and then they turned their attention to Og king of Bashan he came out against them with all his people to battle remember Og with the big bed and the Lord said to Moses fear him not for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst do unto the king of the Amorites to Shion which dwelt at Heshbon and again so the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also the king of Bashan and all his people and we smote him until there was left to him none remaining no city was too strong for them it says even the small cities and the great cities the cities that had uh, gates barred fenced with high walls and as well as that the unwalled ones no city was too strong for them if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him completely nothing is too strong for us if we could only get that into our heads but we can't we seem to come up against doubts and fears I may have doubts and fears my eyes be filled with tears and then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day the clouds of sin may rise and hide my starry skies but just a little talk with Jesus clears the way we took all his cities at that time there was not a city which we took not from them 60 cities besides all the, the small ones and God gave them a wonderful victory and we are assured victory in Jesus my saviour forever he, bought, he sought me and brought me back into his fold again he loved me ere I knew him and thus he bound me to him and he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us and that's as far as we're going to be able to get today 